Happy Monday, and welcome back to another week of the Hitchcock Minute, a show where each and every week uh, different groups of Movies by Minutes podcasters get together and talk about, I think, one of the greatest uh, Hitchcock adventure movies ever filmed, the 1959 Alfred Hitchcock-directed feature North by Northwest. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com, Apollo13Minute.com, AirportMinute.com, and, of course, RocketeerMinute.com. And I'm HalBryan.com, which I don't think actually exists, uh, of the Rocketeer Minute and of the Experimental Aircraft Association. I'm, I'm the uh, I'm the Movies by Minute airplane nerd, self-appointed, I might add. Uh, so sitting here in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and, uh, and coming to watching, you from watching, what, across the country, right? Yeah, uh, coast to coast and around the world. <laughs> sure, exactly. Uh, but uh, we are, and we are, and we're sitting here watching a plane burn, and apparently it's a it's a steerman that's been set on fire. I I have no idea on the on the history of that particular uh, aircraft, but can we talk a little bit about Stearmans and how they differ from N3Ns or what, what the history behind the Stearman biplane was? Sure, yeah. And it's like you said, it, this minute uh, starts, of course, right where the other one ends. That's how... That's how time and continuity work. Um, <laughs> Go figure. And we're, you know, we're looking at the at the miniature of the the Stearman, um, and then we uh, we transition pretty quickly to a uh, to a shot of an actual Hulk uh, of a Stearman that's burning at the back of the truck, and we're seeing Thornhill climb out from under the truck, presumably a stunt double at that moment, right? And then the I would think yeah. I don't think we see his face. Now he's just about to turn toward the camera when we cut. Yeah, he's an awful he's an awful long, young looking uh, Cary Grant. Yeah, that's true. And then of course the two guys in the truck are are diving out. And then we see Cary Grant. Is that just is that just a narrow depth of field there at second uh, ten? I'm sorry, I'm getting way off topic here. Uh, or is that that's not rear projection again? No, no, that's that's really him really walking yeah. away from a really blowing up thing, and it's probably right. shot with an extreme. Uh, they using telephoto. You can shrink the background, so he's right, probably yeah, a good so solid hundred feet away from it. But it, yeah, that really narrow depth of field makes yeah. it makes it work. But anyway, um, an interesting choice to uh, you know we've we've talked about the sort of the Stearman versus N three N thing. There are certainly similar looking airplanes, and and anybody uh, but the the hardest of hardcore airplane nerds is forgiven for confusing one for the other. But an interesting choice to use. Uh, you use a Stearman miniature for the actual crash and then transition to the burning hulk of the of the actual full-size, uh, presumably, hopefully, sort of derelict Stearman that they, they use when they're actually burning a real airplane. Um, that's actually, in a way, even though we switched airplanes from the N3N, it shows to me an interesting attention to detail on their part as they're saying, okay, well, the miniature that crashes and burns has to look like the actual thing we see burning. That's more important than it looking like the airplane we saw flying around earlier, um, even though it's you know it's painted in the same scheme and has that same big uh, end number registration on it. Yeah. But anyway, you asked at the beginning about Stearmans. Um, they served uh, a very similar role to the N3N, but they were uh, far far more uh, ubiquitous. They're far uh, many many times as many Stearmans that were built and saw service. Um, uh, built uh, originally designed by a guy named uh, Lloyd Stearman who, along with uh, other names that people might know, Walter Beach and Clyde Cessna, uh, had all worked together at the same company for, for a few years, the Travel Air Aircraft Company, and then they all spun off. And obviously Cessna and Beach with Beechcraft and Stearman went on to do to, to great success on their own. But interesting to think of those three powerhouses in one company. Yeah. 
Um, Lloyd Stearman designed the, designed the airplane, and Boeing eventually picked it up uh, under license um, as the Model 75. It had uh, many, many different uh, different designations uh, used in the Army Air Corps uh, and the Navy uh, in training. Best known probably is the PT-17, Primary Trainer 17, uh, which is a funny thing to think of it as a primary trainer because I'm a 30, what, two, three, four-year pilot at this point. Uh, I first flew a Stearman as we're recording this about a year and a half ago, I would say, maybe two years ago. And, uh, you know, I'm not a, I'm not some crazy high time or super experienced pilot, but I have flown a lot of different types. But really interesting to get into an airplane like a Stearman and feel like me as, an, as a pilot with some experience is tentative and nervous with it at first and really needs some instruction to get comfortable with it when 75, 80, 85 years ago, Teenagers were hopping in, and it was the first and only airplane they would have ever flown at that point. Uh, you know, something that feels like a complicated handful to me now. Back then, it was just it was just what you trained in. It was all you knew. Yeah, it's the I guess it's the uh, airborne equivalent of a manual transmission. That sure. You're like, yeah, of course you work it this way, and uh, if that's all you know, that's <laughs> that's how how yeah. it works. Yeah, it doesn't seem harder than anything else because there isn't anything else. Yeah. Uh, but still, just I, I I always wondered what the what the history was on the, on that Stearman that's burning there. I, my my feeling is that they probably bought a wreck somewhere and just wrecked it a little more. I, I don't. Yeah, that would should be my guess. I mean, you can see uh, when we first see it there, there you know they did have enough to start with that it was painted uh, in that sort of what, burgundy maroon. Yeah. It would have been painted to to match, and then you know it had the big end number on the side, which was. Which is also clever because that's, you know, even though we don't see the full size burning one intact, it's an instant visual cue that makes it obvious that, you know, yeah, this that, is the same plane. Yeah, this is the same airplane as the miniature, which is the same airplane as the full size N3N, which we know it's not, but that's what the audience needs to come away with. Yeah, and definitely a single take. I mean, you watch that that zero nine burn away. They're going to go out and yeah, get some was, more canvas and dope it up and wait a couple of days. Right. And then, you know, repaint and mask off the numbers and everything yeah. else. It was, as you said, it was, uh, it was one take and that was, that was that, um, which, you know, is, since you mentioned that, that interests me in the sense that, um, when the stunt guys get out of there and stunt Roger Thornhill leaves, you know, Cary Grant, pretty much had to already be in position yeah I, right I, mean, and, I, I don't know, think they're gonna restart it he's gonna like the stunt you know carrie grant's probably walking 100 feet up the road and they're telling everybody get out of the way action roll them right you know it, um, as they roll right from one scene you know uh, or one one cut into another because there's just no other no other way they could have uh, could have done it i mean i su- i suppose as you look at carrie grant walking away somebody if they really tried could convince me well no they put out the fire and then they ignited a new explosion for him but it still just looks it looks very organic like things are still actually burning and and all yeah, that yeah one of the things that always reminds me of is um, I know they do this at many other airports but I see it here every day at DFW airport uh, is they have like a permanently burning airplane that they train the fire crews on and about every hour and a half you'll see a big black plume of smoke over a DFW airport where they're, you know, <laughs> up there setting fire to another airplane again. And I, this doesn't look impervious to flames. I mean, this, it looks like a one-off shoot. So, right. Yeah, it sure uh, does. I'm, I don't know how fast, um, 
What was that? The, the stuff that they used to use in uh, airplane bottles that could put out on fire. I mean, it was like hexachlorophene or something. That, oh, something uh, like that. Yeah, that would extinguish it so quickly. Yeah, but, it, it would knock it out. And it, I, you know, even even back then, I know in the asbestos world of the right. 1950s, they might have yes. used it. But I can't imagine that they would have a lot of time to do a second or third take on this thing. I sure wouldn't um, think so. And also the uh, the fabric on the Stearman, the, again, the full size one that's burning. That's going to be covered with, uh, at that point, that would still have been cotton or, or uh, you know, variant, some kind of a linen, usually cotton. And it's just, you know, slathered with butyrate dope, which is uh, which yeah. is certainly flammable. And then, of course, the paint on top of that would be flammable. You know, we wouldn't, in, in you know, presumably about 58 when this was shot for the 59 release, you certainly wouldn't have had any kind of... Any kind of synthetic uh, fabrics like we use now or anything sort of fire resistant, it's just, you know, yeah, it's just and, sort of waiting to go at that point. And they're just, you know, they probably have sprayers full of, uh, you know, 120201 type leaded gasoline pumping, pumping into that to get that nice black smoke with the yellow highlights. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, so it's just, <laughs> this, is, this is a hazmat nightmare. Exactly. Uh, it, interesting to see the, uh, uh, the, I guess what's known as a, a a road train that that multiple the 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 double the double towing trailer there uh which is something that you see out out here in the west but not as much in the east i, I right seen that many in the yeah uh, it does seem unusual to see it's not something we see in you know here in the midwest this part of the country but then of yeah, course I, if there's anyone listening in australia uh you know they're just laughing at us right now oh yeah they road have like, trains are yeah massive <laughs> yeah miles long so yes um i know so in, laugh uh, away aussie I've I've seen in Oregon the the triplos that that's quite a <laughs> scene when you come across it go oh my goodness that's uh I, I want to know how he backs it into the uh, into the dock but uh, quite a yeah quite a thing to see but yeah the doubles uh, I don't think I've ever seen a double uh, gas tanker though I don't know how how frequent that that is that seems like a, just asking for trouble. Um, <laughs> But uh, I, I was surprised in my internet perusal, the uh, Magnum, there really is a Magnum oil company. It has nothing to do with the people that are that are towing this thing, but there's the Magnum oil company, oh, and they, they drill for oil and gas and uh, are quite, uh, they've been operating for years. I, as far as I can tell, there's no relationship to the name that's written on the, uh, this is a Hollywood name, I'm assuming. But, See, and uh, I, I prefer to think that that, uh, that we can congratulate them from recovering from this particular catastrophe. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, they probably... in, the, in the halls of the Mag- Magnum HQ, we still talk about that time that biplane <laughs> crashed into our truck. And <laughs> Well, they, they sued Joe's uh, crop testing service into oblivion at <laughs> <Right>. April. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> A liability nightmare. Um, the uh, that's that's another question that uh, as a non-pilot myself is is it very difficult to get pilot insurance for for things like crop dusting i mean there must be riders and all kinds of yeah things. certainly for something uh, for something like crop dusting the minimum hour requirements would be pretty high uh, off the top of my head i couldn't tell you what those those are but you know we were uh, uh we had mentioned a couple of times throughout uh, i guess it was through last week's episodes that uh um I, I sent you a story that uh, that a friend of mine at work had done uh, for the magazine where I work about yeah. a crop dusting school. And so hopefully yeah. we're sharing that on the web and, and people can at least look at that and get some more background in it. But um, but it's uh, insurance is always is based on sort of the number of flying hours you have. And even if you're not doing something like crop dusting or doing anything commercial at all, um, like if I were to go out and say buy a Stearman uh, today, then... Uh, um, for me to get insurance on it, like, almost regardless of my current level of experience, 
I would need to to prove to the insurance company that I had probably anywhere from 10 to 25 hours of specific dual instruction in that same type or even ideally that same airplane with an instructor uh, before they would, would fully insure me on it. Yeah. So I know that pretty uh, typical. Working in the, in the life insurance business a, a million years ago, uh, the two avocations that if you had them listed as, as an avocation, if you were a scuba diver or a pilot, it just about doubled whatever, whatever <laughs> the cost of your life insurance was. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's kind of just scary seeing, seeing things. I, I, I keep thinking about uh, people who are crop dusters uh, watching this movie going, please don't show this scene. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thank you very much for making it look like this is, this is what we go through every day. Um, we, as we get away from, as we're walking away from the airport, uh, from the airplane with, uh, with Roger, uh, we come across two, uh, beautiful, uh, 1940s era, uh, it's a pickup truck and a, and a sedan there. Um, I do love those old, I, I, as, as I was saying to you offline, it reminds me of the Sanford and Son, uh, uh, trucks with, with a, with a giant sidestep on those pickup trucks. I miss the sidestep on a, on a pickup truck because it made it so easy to grab stuff out of the bed. You just step on the, step on the side and reach in. Um, those days are gone because everybody wants aerodynamics. But, right. Uh, exactly. Beautiful Dodge trucks. Um, I've only, I've only owned, uh, I've had, I've had an F-150, a Ford Ranger, which uh, in the in the annals of pickup trucks is one of the most useful pickup trucks ever built, and uh, and a Toyota Tacoma that I, I put about two hundred and fifty thousand miles on, and I love I love that truck, giving it up only for electric, but uh, I do I do miss having a pickup truck. Uh, one of the well, the, the major downside though of having a pickup truck is you're everybody's best friend when they when they have a couch that they need to move to their third story apartment. Absolutely, uh, um, you know, years and years ago, my wife and I were looking at, uh, and it's still on my my bucket list. On Sunday, we were looking at a, a classic Mini Cooper. Um, ah. We're looking at a '66 or '67, uh, uh, you know, little just. If you know the BMW branded or mini branded sort of BMW engine minis of today, which I've got one of those and love it, um, they seem like small cars, but they're gigantic compared to the original minis. But mini, like an Italian job style. Yeah, exactly. True. Yeah. A, a 1969 Italian job. You're only yeah. supposed to blow the bloody doors off. Italian <laughs> job. Nothing against the newer movie. It's a fun film. But uh, but anyway, the uh, but mini made a pickup back then. Oh really? So they just I, took the you know the original little four door, uh, four door little adorable box on wheels and sort of chopped it and put a and gave it a little pickup bed that was no bigger, so it made the car no bigger than it ever was. And honest to gosh, it looks like you could probably put two paper grocery bags in the bed. Is about all you could wow. really carry. And my wife and I have dreamed for years about getting one of those and kind of hiding it away, and then waiting for someone to move. <laughs> that's our dream like we'll be, as soon as we'll be right over yeah exactly sure hey we got our truck we'll be right there and then show up and just you know uh, it's an expensive gag but but come on yeah. it's it's but yeah uh, hey it's it, well worth it, it the laughs will be worth it yeah my my wife calls those american whatever whenever you come up with that that size it's always american girl size it, this would be an american <laughs> oh, girl mini. Excellent. yeah uh so uh we go from uh almost getting killed to uh roger committing grand theft auto uh, and Grand Theft uh, Refrigerator. <laughs> Grand Theft. Uh, exactly. So going after the guy with the, the biggest pair of mom jeans I've ever seen. Those, <laughs> those pocket, you, you could put uh, two full-size uh, uh, Oxford English dictionaries in those back pockets. <laughs> it's amazing the size of the, that guy's pants pockets. They um, really are. 
they're yeah. ample, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, he uh, he does have a problem running in those boots, though. It's just yeah. kind of waddling down the street, and uh, he looks like an out of out of shape actor. Yep. <laughs> but he wasn't supposed to catch the truck anyway. Um, and as as we watch uh, Roger recede into the distance, he's heading he's heading south in Indiana. So I don't know how he got back to Chicago, but I guess that was the only way the only way out. He probably just drove to uh, Indianapolis and made a right. Um, <laughs> But uh, as as the scene gets to the very, very end, and we'll talk about this more tomorrow, we get to the very end. We're in downtown uh, Chicago at the uh, uh, probably two of the more famous equestrian statues there, the, uh, the Bowman and the Spearman, which uh, that whole lakefront park uh, that runs along the lakefront uh, is right there. And those are enormous. I've, I saw them once about two years ago when I was uh, actually when we met. Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, really. We had the minute by minute uh, conference there in Chicago, and that's you and I had done eighty or so episodes of the Rocketeer Minute together, but had never met face to face until yeah, uh, until oh, that there. fateful day. <laughs> and now our lawyers tell us we have to act uh, nice to each other on the air, yeah. but otherwise yeah, it's tooth yeah. and nail. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's all a matter of the contract. Yes, uh, but beautiful equestrian statues that look. When you look at them from a distance, they seem rather normal. But when you get up to them, they're very stylized. Um, the muscles and things like that are very stylized. And uh, they're called the, uh, the bowman and the spearman because one is supposedly holding a bow and the other one's holding a spear. But actually, the artist felt that it would detract from their look if they actually held those implements. So they are holding their hands in the place of, the, of how you would hold a bow and how you would hold a spear, but there's none there. Um, from what I've been reading, there was a kind of an urban legend developed that those were removed after a 9-11 but actually haven't been on the statues in the entire history of their product their of, of their uh installing uh, really? there and uh, they've and they've been there since uh, 1928 they're originally supposed to be the entrance to a gigantic stairway that would go down into the lakefront park but then in 19 in the 1940s uh, they expanded Michigan Avenue and put in a that's an they turned the what would have been the giant stairway into an off-ramp so they uh, they guard the off ramp to the to the park, uh, but still just massive, uh, incredible statues um, that uh, they've survived many a, many a Chicago winter. So very impressive, and uh, try to show the uh, the Native American heritage that was you know all part of Chicago's history. And how fitting that we uh, we we start the minute with a spearman and end with a spearman. A spearman, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Like when we were talking about it offline, I was you really had me confused. I was, Wait, we end with a Stearman? No, Spearman. Wait a minute. Wow. <laughs> so. well, 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 we'll talk more Chicago uh, over the over this next week, so please stay tuned with us. Uh, if you have missed any of the previous air, air, airport, what, what show are we doing? If you've missed any of our previous Hitchcock Minute uh, shows here, you can catch up on all the previous 75 of them uh, by going to HitchcockMinute.com. Uh, reach out to us on social media at uh, the man on Washington's nose or on uh, not Instagram, but Twitter at Hitchcock Minute. Uh, you can also subscribe regularly. Just go to uh, either Apple Podcasts, Google Play or any of your favorite podcatchers. Subscribe and uh, have this downloaded hot and fresh every morning from uh, Monday through Friday. Uh, we're about halfway through the movie, but uh, join us here for the next week and we'll talk some more right here on the Hitchcock Minute. Thornhill, wherever you are.